In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm here with our first ever guest on the show. No, it's not Jack. It's John Costco. John, we finally met in Cincinnati. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. It was, it was great to meet you in Cincinnati. First of all, apologies. Um, I was 50% in between a bachelor party and 50% between the bar. So uh, hopefully you didn't think I was being very rude. No, no, no. You, you're a popular man. You have uh, lots of people to please. So, uh, you know, I was, you know, having a couple beers watching the, the Ohio State Clemson game and you had uh, people to please. And you met Ian, the co-host? Yeah, yeah. I met Ian. Uh, good guy. Uh, you know, had, had fun, had fun talk, talking with him. Excellent. And we just had the uh, conference from Jimmy. What were the headlines you got from that? Yeah, I think it just kind of confirms on, you know, what had been reported out there of, uh, you know, the organizational structure that they're going to be looking to have, which is an alignment of the head coach and the GM and looking to hire that that head coach first, which is something that I do agree with because um, you're going to want to pair these guys. But as a head coach, you can get a guy in there that he's the one that's going to be leading these men on a daily basis, as opposed to the GM that would uh, won't be doing that. He'd be more of an oversight, uh, bringing in players and um, having a collaborative effort like that. Um, also confirms that like Paul DePodesta is now going to have, a, you know, it seems like he's going to have a much larger role in this process moving forward um, and that they're kind of moving back towards like, uh, you know, analytically thinking uh, front office and team. I think they've wanted to be that, but they, the, they issued the, when they brought in Sashi Brown, um, you know, Jimmy Haslam went against the wishes of, of, of that front office to, to hire the head coach he wanted. Uh, then last time, obviously, when, and then, then he went along with that head coach to, to fire Sashi Brown and brought in John Dorsey. Um, and then when they were hiring a new head coach last time with Freddie Kitchens, they went against uh, the front office's wishes again. And they were, you know, football guys. And so I think, I think um, there's some good insight there. And, um, and really, uh, you know, like I, I commend the owners and, and, you know, Dee and Jimmy Haslam for recognizing the issue that was this year and looking to fix it as opposed to trying to fit somebody else again to John Dorsey. I know a lot of people like John Dorsey as a GM because he's brought in a lot of talent, but um, you got to have those guys aligned. One interesting comment he mentioned was Elliot Wolf. We will go outside the organization to find our next GM, but Wolf will remain in his, in his role. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, I, I think they like Elliot Wolf and, and, you know, but they, I think they, um, maybe they're not comfortable with him being a GM yet. And maybe, maybe he does get promoted. I think that they just don't want to limit it to, Hey, you know, if they, cause like if they're obviously the talks are, if you're hiring Mike McCarthy as a head coach, um, Elliot Wolf would be a, a, an ideal pairing or just like a, not an ideal, but just an, an obvious pairing. Right. But, um, that doesn't mean he is the guy for that job. 
Um, but you want to pair, obviously, McCarthy with whoever, whomever he feels comfortable with. And he might be one of those guys. But I just don't think you, you limit it to just uh, Elliot Wolf. And, and maybe Elliot Wolf's not ready for that GM spot yet because he's been rumored to be that for a long time yet now. And he, he still hasn't gotten any interviews, as far as I know, to be a GM of anywhere. So uh, he's a bright guy, but maybe he's just not ready yet personally. Yeah, another interesting point that I took away from it was they mentioned that uh, the Haslam's and J.W. Johnson spoke to 20, 30 players and the core group wants strong leadership. Do you think that was a almost a reverse dig at Freddie Kitchens? That was maybe one of his weaknesses? I, I don't know if it's just a, a dig at Freddie Kitchens, but I think it was a the the consensus in the locker room saying hey we don't have a, a we didn't have a leader this year and I don't I don't think like Jimmy Haslam's a pretty respectable guy he's not going to yeah. go out there and do that type of stuff right so like I, I, like I don't think he meant anything more beyond it than just saying hey these are what the you know we lacked in this area and I don't think he was trying to you know specifically actually uh, dig at yeah maybe dig was the wrong word I I used there actually maybe looking to fill a void. Yeah, that that would be fair then. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. Yeah. And it seemed like they're going to go with the head coach hire first, and then the head coach will then be involved with hiring the GM, which for me just seems a little bit backwards. But I guess it gets the the accountability of the head coach and the um, GM have to be aligned. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at it, successful teams around the league, they have it both ways. Bill Belichick, he was a head coach, and he's essentially like the de facto GM there. But, you know, he has his player personnel guys uh, working essentially for him and doing things. And you look at Andy Reid for a number of years. He was the head coach prior to, you know, John Dorsey being hired there. And then also, uh, I think it's Chris Veach is the the, um, GM there now. Uh, So he's been the guy that, hired the GM and um, you know, I think that was the case for Andy Reed in, in Philadelphia. Um, but it also works the opposite way where in Philadelphia right now, you know, um, Howie Roseman was the GM and they brought it in, um, you know, a number of organizations, right? So they, it's just, a, I think, I think the most important thing is just making sure that the, the two have a shared vision and then the, the you know the people making these hires, especially with the the search committee and the owners, have the same vision that these guys have. Um, so like I I personally like having the head coach first. You look at, um, I mean throughout history, and I, I was talking about current coaches now, but like you just look throughout history, and I think it's the better way to do it because you these are the guys that the head coach are going to be coaching and they're going to involved directly with so uh, I like it it's fine and it works both ways and I just prefer it this way obviously they said some nice things about John Dorsey but it feels like if you read behind the lines is that they wanted the ownership ownership and the responsibility coming back to themselves and it yeah so I think what they you know they they hired John Dorsey to kind of to be that football guy. I think that's why they hired him. It's like, Hey, um, you know, cause from when Sashi Brown, it was a complete departure from what the process was with Sashi Brown as the GM. Um, he wasn't the GM. He was the executive vice president of football operations, but still same thing essentially. And 
I think they wanted that football guy. And as a fan, a lot of the fan base wanted that football guy. We need a football guy. Right. But um, I think ownership has to be involved. Like it's not like they own a team. They obviously are going to be involved um, in some form or a fashion. And you look around the league owners are just essentially are involved with their teams. Even Robert Kraft with the best organization in the NFL for the past 20 years, he's involved with, with the football operations of that team. So um, they're going to be involved and I think you can't shut them out. And I think the issue too, with John Dorsey is that things were going on in that organization that they were not aware of um, that involved John Dorsey and some part of the reason why he was uh, fired. Uh, They mutually parted ways and, you know, and according to the team, but um, I think that's kind of why they need to be more involved so they can see hands-on, hey, how is this working? Or, you know, let's have these, these weekly meetings or whatever and stuff like that. Another key point was that Urban Myers is not in the mix for interviews at the moment. Yeah, they, I can't say anything more than what rumors are, right? But, like, uh, they're, they're specifically looking at coaches with NFL experience and not college experience. That doesn't mean to say that Urban might not be a – uh, you know, would be a candidate down the line, um, you know, if, after the first round of, of interviews. But uh, I think I think the, the link between the two has been more Urban Meyer being in an advisory consultant type role. He might even be involved with actually these interviews and helping this decision. So I don't I don't I, I trust what he said there. And, and as of right now. What's your views on uh, Barry coming back as maybe the GM? I think he would be a great fit. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that is a, he's a bright individual, well-regarded around the league. Um, you know, he has the football background because, he, you know, his playing days, um, but he's also got the analytical mind too. So I think he'd be a great fit for whomever they, you know, the head coach would they bring in. Especially I think he'd be a great fit with Stefanski or Salah, uh, stuff like that. So I think, I think he'd be good. And John, at the moment, who's your favorite to come in and uh, be the head coach with the GM? So, like, we, you know, as fans and media people outside of the team, we really just don't know, like, how good these candidates are, and you kind of have to trust the process, right? You know, I think he, was, Freddie Kitchens was, like, everybody's favorite pro, uh, candidate last year. You know, I, I, was, I was guilty of that, too, and we were obviously all wrong. Um, you know, from my, you know, thousand-foot view – uh, of it, I do like Stefanski a lot. Um, he's a he's a bright individual. You talk to, um, you know, I had recently had word from a player on the Vikings team that he's a genius and he has he's per, like fantastic with processes. Um, he's very well organized. He he conducts himself really well, and you see that in interviews too. He's very thoughtful. He's very, um, he, you know, process oriented. The way he conducts himself, the way he speaks in interviews and press conferences. Um, he does, you know, he's a team first guy and he's learned, he's a, he can, he's a quick learner. You know, one of the stories is that he, um, you know, he learned a system as, you know, growing up in, in, in the NFL, uh, he brought in Gary Kubiak and a couple of other guys to be on that offensive staff. Um, and they knew us a different terminology. And instead of them learning Stefanski's terminology, Stefanski learned their terminology so that they can get uh, off the ground running faster and then he could adapt to them uh, as opposed to forcing multiple different people adapt to him. Uh, so I think that is a, it's a very good quality 
uh, in a, in a head coach, um, you know, and, and a good mind and he's young too. And so I think as far as I've seen, there's not really many, any red flags with the guy. And I think he, he'd be a really good uh, fit and you'd um, for, for the Browns, especially with how they, how he operates his offense right now. I've got to admit, I was pro Hugh Jackson. I was pro Freddie Kitchens. So uh, this time, when people ask, who's your preference? I'm going to say, it's Russian roulette. Who knows, you know? It, it absolutely, you're right. Like, we, I think a lot of people liked Hugh Jackson at the time. And, you know, what's funny is that Paul De Podesta, he likes he liked Sean McDermott at the time. You know, so look at Sean McDermott's playoffs two, two out of three years um, and leading – you know, leading that organization. So I, I think, it, and that's another organization, by the way, that hired the head coach first and then brought in um, Brandon Bean as the GM. So it works both ways at that and, and right. Like we just, we just don't know. We do not know. It's like the draft. We just don't know. <laughs> now looking at your PFF experience, I got one question, which was, uh, why was Larry so, uh, Ogunjobi so bad last year? Yeah, um, you know, he, he was declining the year before as well. He's a guy that coming out of college, we, we liked. He was a, a, obviously a nose tackle, big guy. Uh, but you look at his transformation from that rookie year till now, he's lost weight. He's, he works out with Geno Adkins. Um, he's a guy that he tries to emulate. And by that, that means losing weight and looking like him and trying to play like him. And that's not how Larry Ogunjobi plays. That's not how he won – uh, in college or as a, as a rookie, um, he was a bigger guy. He was able to anchor against double teams, but he was a quick penetrator when he needed to be. Um, and when you lost that weight, you're no longer able to use your weight to push up the offense uh, guards and, and center around. Um, so he's completely transformed his body to try to play like an Aaron Donald and a, and a Geno Atkins. But the problem with doing that is that undersized tackles have to be freak athletes to be able to, to win and he's not that he has a certain skill set that could be good in the NFL uh, but he's he's because he's lost so much weight um, he's essentially not that good anymore which is unfortunate because he's a guy that obviously would flash big time as a rookie and he might be served best as a backup nose tackle in the NFL and and for a you know was he a late third round pick that's a fine role for him um but he's he clearly I think shown in the last two years that having a starting role in the in the role that he's tr in the body type and the style that he's trying to play is not good. I had him as my surprise Pro Bowl Player of the Year as well. I I went with first of all, and uh, yeah, <clears throat> he hasn't the season that I thought he was going to have. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Here's a um, it's quite a generic question, but I'll I'll, tr I'll try and ask it to you. Um. With the 22 Brown starters at the moment, where do you think the biggest holes are from a PFF standpoint? Yeah, so I, I go at holes and, and consider what's most important on a team. So, like, the most important positions are obviously quarterback, wide receiver, cornerback, uh, edge rusher, and, and offensive tackle. And so I think where they're weakest at on those holes is at offensive tackle. So I think that's the – they're probably their biggest hole right now. Um, and so – uh, offense tackle is a position that they should attack either and both in free agency and a draft this year. And I think the next biggest hole that they have is, is at safety. Um, and so that's an, and I think that's a night, you know, that, you know, you can find good players at, at both positions in this, 
you know, in the draft and then free agency this year. So um, they have a lot of holes right now, mainly because of the players weren't utilized properly. Obviously they didn't have a leadership in place that they needed. And so they didn't play up their expectations. Um, but I think protecting the off the quarterback is probably paramount uh, for, for this organization. Start of the season, I was coming in saying we've got far too much depth at defensive end. And now the last three, four games, it's been absolutely vapors of players out there. So um, do you think that Olivia Veron and Chad Thomas and Miles Garrett, do you think that's strong enough or do you think we need to draft another defensive end? It's definitely not strong enough, mainly because you saw what it looked like when Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon were out there. Chad Thomas was one of the lowest graded players in the NFL this year at edge defender. His grade of 47.8 was not good enough. Um, he he had some flashes as he had, you know, four sacks this year. Um, but, you know, that that's, you know, accounts for a small fraction of the plays that he played. So um, they definitely need more edge depth. Unfortunately, they traded away, you know, Gennard Avery, who could have been a, a good piece for them when when Miles Garrett was suspended and Olivier Vernon was injured, but they didn't have that luxury anymore. So you, you have to uh, address that position multiple times, I'd say, this offseason. Mm. And where do you think the easiest – free agent places to plug our team are so like safety for example or yeah i think you can find you can always find um safeties late in free agency for a decent price like trey boston's a player that's been really good in the nfl for a number of years and for whatever reason he continues to be available late in, in the free agency period um so i think that's a that's a position where you can get really good value for um and then i think even right tackle is a position that you maybe not anymore that you can get for a discount because it seems like that right tackles are starting to get uh, recognized for how good uh, their value is. But um, I think, um, you know, the thing with, so with PFF grading and coming out of college, our, our offensive line and defensive line grades are pretty predictive in terms of being able to find good gems and stuff like that. So um, those usually can be, you know, you can draft those in later rounds and find solid players there. So I think safety, like you said, is the, probably the best uh, plug-and-play position you can find for the uh, um, in free agency. And a real headline draft question is, where do you see the strengths in uh, the draft this year and uh, where will this, the more tougher positions to find in this year's draft? Yeah, uh, the the absolute strength of this draft is wide receiver uh, and offensive tackle right now. So you, if you have a wide receiver need, it is a very deep wide receiver class. There's a lot of different, um, you know, styles out there that you can fill with your team. Um, I mean, even a guy like Tyler Johnson has, I don't know if anybody watched the bowl game yesterday or was it two days ago where he was, you know, he lit up um, uh, the team. I can't remember who they're playing Auburn for, you know, 200 plus yards. Uh, he's a guy that's probably going to be available in the mid rounds because of uh, how deep this class is. And then offensive tackle, it's a, it's a deep class that has a lot of quality players. Uh, so I think those two positions, you can find something if you're looking for them uh, as an, and then for a, a position I haven't, so I haven't gone too hard deep dive into the draft for, for what's it's weak at, but it, uh, it does appear that 
quarterback is like a one it's going to be a one quarterback class and that's joe yeah. burrow and then left unless Tua Tua uh declares but like after after joe burrow and say Tua doesn't declare like I, I don't think there's at all another quarterback in this class that's worthy of of being like in terms of that you look as a, a towards of, of as a franchise quarterback there's some developmental prospects and stuff like that but no no top of the line type guys and guys are going to get overdrafted for sure all right, and the last question of the day is is from Jack Duffin. He's asking, "How's it all going with the new dog?" Good old Jack. Oh, the, the dog is fantastic. So we actually still haven't named the dog yet. Unfortunately, we've we're, we keep going. So we've 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 tried to go on Fang. We've tried to go on uh, um, a couple of different names. Chub. We actually tried using Chub for a little bit. Um, and it just doesn't nothing just seems to really sick stick and, and fit with the dog but the dog is fantastic he's a great dog um yeah you know he already knows to sit stay uh lie down um he comes when i call him he does he's pretty calm and uh he's pretty much house trained already um he has you know if you obviously if you neglect him for too long or something like that which we don't do but like if you don't recognize that he's asking you to go outside because he's not much of a barker he's not a whiner uh he'll have an accident but he hasn't had one of those in quite some time now which is kind of amazing for a four-month-old dog um but so he's he's really good how about naming your dog the same name as whoever the manager has picked for or the head coach for the browns I would, I would see it. I would love to do something Browns related because that's just, uh, I, you know, so my dad's dog is named Brownie after Brownie the elf. Um, but my wife probably would not agree to that. So she has enough football in her life that she doesn't want even more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brilliant. And just tell us, uh, John, what's your plans between now and the, the off season? Um, what are you going to be supporting with, with PFF? Yeah, so um, uh, basically, I just work uh, for PFF, and we're reviewing these bowl games right now, and then we'll be doing some uh, more analysis on uh, the FCS prospects um, up until the Senior Bowl, and, um, and basically doing that basically up through the, the Super Bowl. Yeah.